0: I hope you have enjoyed these uh, Lord's Prayer focused sermons this fall and if you have missed one, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to it on the podcast or on our YouTube because each of the statements of the prayer is in and of itself a statement of faith. And something that Pastor Stacy said last week was it's more than just words that we're reciting up to God, we are actually asking God to help us live out our relationship with God. When Jesus told us to pray in this certain way and say these certain things, that, that he is addressing the uncomfortable realities in our world. So one of those things that is uncomfortable for many people, but not necessarily for all of us in this space, is that there's a lot of hungry people in our world. And so it, it means something to say, give us this day our daily bread, but Stacy reminded us that that's not something we struggle with here we don't have a scarcity of bread in this community oh but when we pray give us this day our daily bread we are saying god we need you today in order to get to tomorrow so, as we approach this text today, it, it, we pray this prayer, and I am gonna you to see both versions of how it is in the Gospels. Matthew says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Luke says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. What you need to know is that the Greek word for all four of those nouns is virtually the same. It's the same root. It's just how it is interpreted, and that's why we have so many versions. Varieties of this prayer, some saying sins, some saying trespasses, and we here in the Presbyterian Church saying debts. As much as I have always served churches where no one has ever had to worry about bread on their table, it's not a scarcity issue we deal with. In my time in ministry, something that is very scarce, very scarce, is forgiveness. I think as a Christian people, we really really hold tightly to the wrongdoing that has been done against us, whether by individuals, by institutions, people in our family, and especially if it had to do with something that affected our finances. So it's no surprise that when Jesus is approached and he's asked, to explain this forgiveness thing, that he uses an economic example because Jesus also said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To help us see more of what Jesus meant when he said, this is what it means to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Your pastors are going to demonstrate a paraphrase of the parable for you. I'll invite them to come forward. Peter finally got up the nerve to ask Jesus a question that had been bothering him. Master, how many times do I forgive my brother or sister who hurts me, seven? Jesus replied, seven, hardly try, 77 times. Let me tell you a story. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square their accounts with their servants. And as they got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. Servant, it is time for you to pay your debt. Please forgive me. I will pay it back. I'll pay it back. That is a lot of money. And so I'm going to now sell your wife and your children, and your TVs and your computers and your cars, your furniture, all of it So that I can get paid back. I'll pay it back, I promise. Well, you seem nice enough. You seem earnest. Okay, servant, I forgive your entire debt. Go in peace. The servant was proud, was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him 10 dollars he seized him by the throat and he demanded give me my money oh <laughs> please please be patient with me i will pay you back but the first servant would not have anything of it come with me you're going to jail until you can repay your debts i can't work from jail so the servant took him to Prison. Other servants saw this, they were outraged, and they brought this news to the king. What? What? Is this true? Who did this thing? You. You. I'm sorry. (laughs) Listen, I forgave you your entire debt. I was merciful to you. You couldn't be merciful to your own fellow servant? The king was furious and told the man, Now you have to pay back your debt. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus uses financial examples to illustrate these difficult truths over and over. And so it's normal when Jesus is asked about forgiveness that he uses this economic example, that there is this servant who has their debts forgiven, and then when that person has a chance to forgive others, they do not. A debt is something that someone owes to another. It's different than helping someone out or giving someone a gift. By nature, debt means you will pay it back. In other words, you did did not have enough to be able to get by and continue to live your life the way you wanted to, and so you had to then borrow from someone else in order to keep living the way that you wanted. And so it is assumed, unlike a gift, debt means I will plan to pay this off. For the first century listener that Jesus told this parable to, they would have been well aware of what it was like to owe people money. What it was like to have debts that you needed to be able to pay off. 90% of this Palestinian community, they were subsistence farmers. You know, we think paycheck to paycheck. They thought harvest to harvest. And then when that harvest came, They tried to feed and clothe and house their families, and then they had to pay the taxes to Rome, but then they didn't own the land. Land in Israel, Palestine, it was owned by very, very, very few wealthy landowners. Everybody paid rent. Everybody paid rent. Everybody owed something to someone, and so if your harvest fell in any way short, your debt just grew and grew and grew. So imagine being A man who had toiled all day long, all year long, still never to be able to pay off that debt. You would hear what Jesus said and you would think, that is sure as heck not how it is here. That sounds really good. That sounds like a beautiful kingdom, Jesus. I would love it if it were to be like that. But that would be only thinking in economic terms. And while I do think that Jesus has an economic focus here, he is wanting to turn our eyes upward. What debt do we owe to God? What debt do we owe to God? We know scripture is very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3.23. There is absolutely no human effort, no nutrition plan, no regiment that any of us can do to get us back into this right standing with God. There's nothing we can do to pay off the debt, and it is a huge debt that we owe. Christ paid our debt for us, friends. When we pray, forgive us our debts, we are making a statement of faith. We are praying because of Christ, only because of Christ, we have been made right, righteous before God. It is absolutely pivotal to having faith in Christ to know that there is no limit to that forgiveness. There is no cap. There is no like age where it's like, oh, you're done. There's none of that. But equally as pivotal is to realize that that limitless grace came at a cost. When we pray, forgive us our debts, we are saying we need it and we thank you. Because of this, when you think about God and God's very being, forgiveness is a central part of who God is. Just naturally, God is just part of the essence of God is just being forgiving. So when we pray, forgive us our debts, We put ourselves, as the 20th century theologian Oscar Coleman says, we put ourselves in the same kind of field of force of God. And imagine God and just emanating from God is love and joy, and emanating from God is forgiveness. And so when we come before God and we pray, forgive us our debts, God naturally pulls us in to this forgiving nature. And in that field, there is only one response giving that forgiveness to others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we need to be honest. In that case, any human claim to God's free forgiveness is excluded. The forgiveness came with a price. Coleman goes on to say, if we are not ready on our part to always forgive, it is meaningless to utter the petition. Forgive us as we forgive. The fact that we are forgiven, it came with a hefty price. God gave his own son over to death. It is not something we are just supposed to think about one day a year. How can we not forgive others? And yet, why am I so often like that servant? Gladly, gladly accepting God's forgiveness for myself, but then holding the people who have wronged me so tightly, not forgiving them. I'm like the servant. I hold them in a prison. We think things like, I hope they get what they deserve. Well, you know, it does say you reap what you sow. What goes around, I sure hope it comes around. Our ancient Abbas and Amas, our desert fathers and mothers, they talked a lot about forgiveness. And they said that there were two ingredients that were necessary for us. The first, very simple, do not seek revenge on the person who has wronged you. A monk does not return evil for evil, said Abba Poemim. And second, we must hope for the person who wronged us to be made whole. Now this might seem unreasonable for some of us because there are some things that seem just too cruel, too traumatic, too unjust, too disgusting. Jesus knew this, Jesus knew that forgiveness would feel that way. He knew it, he felt it, he died on the cross for it. And for some reason, Jesus keeps telling these stories all through the gospel where it doesn't matter if someone owes a lot or owes a little, they both get the same. Or someone who works in the field all day and then someone comes at the very last minute and they all get paid the same wage. Someone who has wronged much and someone who has wronged little and they're both equal in God's eyes. It's not just about the severity, the depth, the degree Or the size of the injustice that someone else has done to us. Jesus Jesus focuses on the one thing that we can do, and that's how do we respond to that. In the parable, the servant who was forgiven continued to live in a world where it was more important to get even, to seek revenge, and to punish others who wronged us. He had been given forgiveness. He had been given the opportunity to live free and he chose to stay shackled. When we do not forgive others, this, the crazy thing about forgiveness is that we hold the person or the institution or the family, we hold it so tightly and they have no clue that we're doing it. Think about all the energy it takes to hold that anger, and that bitterness, and that rage, and the other person does not even know. It is only affecting our well-being. Roberta Bondi, who was one of my professors in seminary, she said it like this. We forgive not because that is what good people must do, but because it is what we need for our own wholeness. And the wholeness of the people that we live with. Who are often on the receiving end of the unforgiven hurts we suffer. When we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, this is the opportunity. It is a prayer of acceptance. Thank you, Lord God. Whew. And then release. As we forgive those who are indebted to us. We accept the, God, the forgiveness of God and then we release What others have done, we release that back to God. This is a prayer, not just wrote another line in the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer for wholeness and well being. May it be so in my life and in yours. Let us pray.